Welcome to the Stoller and Feds podcast. My name is Eric Starr. We got Kellen Olsen here. Of uh, where, do you, where do you work there, Olsen? Uh, I work at ArizonaSports.com. We have the Empire of the Suns uh, blog on there for all your Suns coverage that you're looking for. Yep, I used to intern with you guys back in the day. Um, and they're awesome people over there, so definitely check out their stuff. Well, we just finished up a wonderful Suns game. Suns playing the Boston Celtics. And it was a 116-111 uh, to 111 loss uh, at the end there. It was a close game. Definitely a more competitive game than one would think, um, based on the Celtics being the best team in the league. What were your initial thoughts on the game? Um, I thought it was just another one of those examples where the Suns were really competitive, but it was one of those games where you saw how far they have to go in terms of being a good offensive team. There were just so many possessions defensively where they were really poor. I mean... The one that stood out to me was the one at the end of the game where Tatum was had pretty much had an uncontested dunk, and it's because Jackson was about three or four feet behind him when he was chasing him around screens, and that's already putting you at a disadvantage. You should already have him at your hip, but then when you're going through screens, it's pretty much over. Booker and Chandler didn't realize that he needed help probably because they didn't expect for him to need help, but you still have to be looking out for that, and that's just one of those possessions where three or four people are screwing up. We see the same thing in the pick-and-roll coverage where Chandler is just playing so deep in pick and roll coverage that's by design but it still shows that Ulyss at five foot seven has to like battle through screens um to really have a chance of contesting and even then Kyrie was shooting over him so uh, I mean that's my initial reaction I think if I was watching this from a neutral perspective I would say Devin Booker is really good but we're just used to this at this point he had 38 points on 29 shots which it's pretty good stuff uh, in 39 minutes. He really carried the team late in terms of trying to have them battle back in the game and get in it. So I think that was my overall two main thoughts on the game. Uh, it, it's just another one of those games where you look at them and say, uh, I think the 8-16 and 16 record is a little bit of a lie. Uh, this team is just not very good at all, and they're pretty bad. In fact, I think they're one of the three, four worst teams in the league. And I think we're going to see the – Schedule start to course correct itself here, but I mean, who knows? They were just winning a lot of close games based off really effort and hustle and things like that, and maybe they can win 25, 26 games based off that, but uh, I'm not very optimistic about that at the moment. Definitely. there. I mean, if you look at the people they've beat, I think the only one that would surprise you is the Timberwolf game, and that was so close. And everything else was, oh, they have to have a good game when the other team really didn't, and the team was about the same level as them anyway. So it's, I mean, I mean, as you always say, any team can be any other team on any night, um, but it's going to, I mean, it's going to catch up to them. They're not going to get to play like the Lakers more than a couple more times. They don't get to play the Bulls again. They don't get it. So it's, it's really going to be have a problem. They get to play the Hawks a couple times, but that's maybe two of their wins and they only have eight. So it'll definitely be a problem there. I definitely saw, a lot of the same stuff you did. I mean, Booker for sure. We'll talk about him in a, in a second. But um, what do you do? You think that the the Suns rely too much on Booker, or is that just kind of how a bad team works? It's yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's kind of how a bad team work works, and it's kind of how a team works when. I mean, we're really diving in here if we're talking about like how the Eric Bledsoe thing unfolded. But no matter how you look at it, whether it was the Suns' fault. Uh, Bledsoe's fall for demanding a trade three games into the season essentially or whatever it was when you lose a player like Bledsoe when your roster is so thin in terms of overall talent um, and I know this team has a lot of young talent and a lot of prospects but if you look at how good the players are right now I think it's the thing that I talked about when 
I think it was a game against the Knicks, like seven or eight games in the year, where TJ Warren got hurt, and I tweeted out, who is the Suns' second best player right now, now that he's out? And I couldn't even think of it. Yeah. It was like, are you selecting Dragon Bender's oak? pretty okay defense for a second-year player? Are you selecting Chandler and Lenz rebounding? Are you selecting one of the point guards for their little moments? Like that's like No, that's, you're not selecting one of the point guards. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what you're picking out of that group. So I think that, in effect, um, puts so much pressure on Booker. And the thing that hasn't really helped, in my opinion, and something we saw in this game, and I think um, I was trying to tweet this, but I couldn't figure out how, a way to say it, but the way the power forward rotation went in this game from beginning to end is kind of a representation of where their rebuild is at the moment because they go with Chris sometimes, they go with Bender sometimes, both of them screw up enough, so they go to Dudley, and then Dudley's getting beat by Jason Tatum, so then they just go to Josh Jackson, who clearly is just like not ready for that yet still. Uh, so I, I think that just shows how behind those three guys are, and right now, I've, I've backed up Chris and Bender a lot, but they need something from those guys consistently, like pretty soon. Mm-hmm. It's fine if it happens this year, but next year is the year. I've been saying it since their rookie years, really, where year three, the start, is really where you look for them to start being consistent contributors. And right now, they look even, would you say, in your opinion, Eric, are they even close? I, I mean... I, that sounds rough. It, do you think they are close to being consistent contributors? Because that's what they need to be at least in year three when they're former top ten picks. That's, I mean, yeah, they they have flashes, and that's what we like from them. I mean, Bender with his threes today, he's actually getting left on it, which is like something I, as a kind of impact basketball trainer person, I'm like, come on, get that thing, uh, get the lift on your shot, on your release. Um, Chris, though, he has stuff there. But it's it's inconsistent. I think they're, I think it's possible. I don't think they're close. Um, I think the, the problem, like what? I think the defining thing about it is sorry to cut you off there, but I think the defining thing is like, can you think of like a five six game stretch that either of them have had where they've just been consistent? I think that's the thing that jumps out to me. Chris had a nice stretch towards the end of last season. Yeah. Bender's had like three out of five games maybe here and there, but there's... But he has to get enough minutes to really have that impact that he we're looking for. Yeah, true. And he part is, of... He is, he is there at this at this stage, um, this season at least. He's finally getting that, so he has to do something with it at least this season. But I think, back to your original question about Booker, I think that is the telling thing because they get rid of Bledsoe. They have to start getting some help from these guys that they use high graphics on. Alex Lynn is another one where, like, you can't rely on him to do anything right now, but uh, finish around the basket and rebound and protect the rim. That's only which he's doing way better than when he was a rookie and second, third year player. Yeah, he is yeah. finishing. I mean, you're seeing a way more athleticism, if that makes sense. Way more drive, way more strength. I mean, if he's in and he's there, he's getting those dunks. He's getting. He's finishing better. He's making three throws. And boy, am I happy he's not shooting. I mean, I saw one of them. I'm like, dude, don't shoot any of them ever. Yeah, um, w- with him. With Len, uh, let me try and finish what I was saying because I, I keep getting oh, I keep being lost. No, you're fine. Uh, but the whole point is that when you take away Bledsoe, who is the team's best player far and away, and how much they're relying on him in terms of if you're looking at it like a pie chart in terms of how much they're relying on each player for this team to be good, they just had no one that was even capable. There was no money ball type situation with all the other players picking up the slack. 
that was just never going to happen. No one has picked up the slack at all, basically, for Bledsoe's departure, except Booker and Warren. Those are the only two guys. So I think that they aren't relying on him too much, and I think Booker has done a really good job of not forcing it as much for now. It's something I'm going to keep watching in the future because a game like this one where he's looking around and saying, man, I'm getting no help. Okay, I'm just going to take 30 shots tonight. That's something I talked about on the Empire of the Suns podcast about a week or two ago where it was just like, when does he look around and say, screw this, I'm taking 30 shots tonight because that's probably our best chance of winning. And what do you know, it was their best chance of winning today, and that's why he did it. So I wonder when we get there, and that's when you start wondering if it's really productive what he's doing. But for now, I have no problem with it, and I think it's not a huge issue. But I, I think the question I have to you is that if he does start taking more closer to 30 shots and 20 shots a game, do you think that's counterproductive to his development at all? Because even I still say no because of the lack of talent on the team, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. In the, you're saying in the sense that those shots should go to people who are trying to develop? No, uh, I mean more in terms of his overall development, like him building himself up into like a chucker, basically, which is kind of the concern, the quote-unquote concern we had when his efficiency was questionable. But even then we were just saying like he was young and he was figuring it out and all that kind of stuff, which he's proved this year in terms of his efficiency, efficiency rising in year three. That beginning of the season made me know that he can be efficient, I think, and just in terms of what he's been doing this season, I'm okay with him shooting more shots until it's like a vacuum. But now that we know that he can he can dial it back when it's necessary, when it's possible, um, and still be able to win, which has happened a couple times, uh, then I'm okay with it. Like if if he if he couldn't dial it back and he's just a chucker, then that's really really concerning. But I don't think he's that person. I think he can dial it back when it's necessary. He doesn't take a lot of his... I mean, Mike James takes way more shots out of the floor of the offense than Booker ever will, ever has. And that's, I mean, I think I tweeted this out once. Mike James is making me very very scared with his, his Brandon Knight decision-making. And Brandon Knight's a better player and a better person, I think. I mean, just from what I know. But not, in, not anything bad with Mike James, but, like, Brandon Knight's a better player. And he's making the same decisions, and he's not as good, and it's very scary. <laughs> yeah, Mike is just, he's kind of showing what his limitations are. It, he came out and played really well, and I think people were saying, like, I, even on opening night, people were tweeting, like, all right, let's just start Mike James. It's like, oh, okay, this is what happens when you start Mike James. He shoots, like, 20% over the course of five or six games. Like, that's what happens. He doesn't have very good shot selection. His Vision is there, but only in like inspired moments when I think he wants to look for the pass. And I just think that he he takes a lot of bad shots, and he's not a very good point guard in terms of the minutes that he's playing right now. Like, is he an NBA player? Absolutely, but he's more like Tyler Eulis in the vein of like he's a really good third point guard. Um, at least that's where Eulis is right now. Last year, I would have said like Eulis is one of the best backups in the league with the way he was playing. But, I said that. Uh, yeah, I think but the problem is the problem is he that Triano has to play James because Eulis is too small. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Yeah, yeah the the limitations there are pretty clear with Eulis, but I, I think even last year he was showing that he could get past that. But this year, we're starting to see the scoring come back a little bit. But that's what has to happen. He has to be effective from the mid range areas and. Some of the plays that he was making down the stretch there, including that lob to Chandler where he had to buy an extra like two seconds and both defenders were on him and he probably can't see Chandler. He just threw it up there. And he's, yeah, but he, the, pro- the problem is the defense. He, he gets hit off of every pick and like bounces off every single pick from any center or power forward. 
and can't recover. <laughs> and even if he recovers, he can't block it or affect the shot. Like, it's like, and that's not as much of a problem against backups, but it's a big problem against starters. Oh, yeah, he should, he's not a starting caliber point guard. I think that... Neither is Mike James. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, and that ties back to the whole Booker thing. Is like, you look at their stats page right now, and Mike James is leading the team in assists, but he's averaging 4.1. And Booker's at 4, I want to say. So Booker's probably going to lead the team in assists one way or another here. I think Eulis might probably by the end of the year, actually, now that I think about it. But uh, to get back to Len, I think the thing that we can talk about with him a little bit is he's definitely reclassified his game and simplified it. That's something I've talked about over and over again with him is that you are not this high post prospect that you were coming out of Maryland. That's just not your game. You need to focus on the simple things. He's been doing that. Uh, cleaning the glass had uh, some advanced stats on him where he was shooting. Uh, he's shooting eighty-seven percent of his shots at the rim, which is way, yeah. way up. Uh, he meets the eye test for sure. Yeah, his previous high was I believe sixty-three or sixty-four percent. So he's taking so many more shots at the rim, and that's abandoning, of course, the mid-range jumper, which he should not be taking anymore because he's not good at it. Uh, the occasional corner three or whatever it was, deep mid-range jumpers, those are pretty much gone. Uh, but the concerning thing about him that has always been concerning is his turnovers and taking care of the ball in his hands in general around the rim and then his finishing. He's never been a good finisher, and this year he's been pretty bad too. I know the uh, you said the eye test he thought he was, he was finishing better. But actually, he's only shooting 51% at the rim right now, at least entering what? the game today in Boston. Yeah, it feels like, right, because of the consistent impact that he's making in the game, I was surprised at that, too. I expected him to be closer to 60% than 50%. I still didn't expect the numbers to be like Tyson Chandler, where he's shooting like 70% at the rim or whatever. <laughs> but I, I was pretty surprised by that, but it just tells you that his limitations are still absolutely there. Uh, he has become much better on the uh, the glass. He's gone from good to great in that end. He's been a great rebounder. And I, I tweeted this. He's rebounding uh, like he's in a contract year more than I've seen anyone do anything in a contract year because, like you said, he's attacking the ball basically every time. Even if it's a free throw when no one is like a free throw miss, when no one is trying to rebound next to him, he's still rebounding it strong and going up and getting it. And it's just like he's clearly making an effort to show the effort. Which is which is fine. He he should do that, and especially in a contract year. He should try and get paid. That's a good idea. Uh, but <laughs> with, with him, the rim protection numbers have been pretty good too. But I just worry, like offensively, it's like you can be a great rebounder and you can be a pretty good rim protector, uh, a solid rim protector. But if you can't finish at a just even below average rate for your size, that's a problem. And shooting fifty one percent. The stat I tweeted out last night was that. Only Tyler Eulis is shooting worse at the rim on the Suns than him. Oh my god! So that means a lot more people that are smaller than under seven foot tall are uh, shooting better than him at the rim, and that's a huge concern for him, and kind of outlines the entire problem with his game. So I think like he needs to, yeah, sorry, Len needs to be Tyson Chandler, but he's not as good a rim protector. And he doesn't around the rim as much. He needs to be that. Can't be. No, and he doesn't have like the defensive flexibility that Chandler had in his prime either. Like I think Alex Len is like a fine, like he's he's an okay backup center. Maybe he's even pretty good on some nights. And the point I've been making with him is the past in the past three weeks when it comes to his playing time and him playing is I've just put it bluntly and said like I don't really care. Like it's it, he is what he is at this point to me. I don't see his game evolving because he's tried in his first four years in the league and he shows that he can't. So now he's trying to simplify it, which is fine, but he's, he's in year five simplifying his game, which is a... So you, so, 
Yeah. Which is a, so you don't care if he gets resigned or not because it's like resign him for a good deal or don't resign him and let him go. Allen Williams is better. Allen Williams is a better basketball player than him. He just is. He is, but he's smaller. <laughs> he, he's better though. I, I don't care about his size. I was the first person. I was the person checking every single possession to see if his size was affecting him. Much in the same way where Bender was getting called soft, and I was making sure that if he was playing the four or the five, he wasn't getting beat on the glass consistently. It was one of those things with Sauce where I was making sure that he wasn't getting beat for size. And there were a couple possessions, like in Milwaukee one time, where Greg Monroe, just uh, their teammates now, that's kind of funny, but he (laughs) um, had a couple of possessions where he just got scored on really easily. But the overall effect, like he would come back on the other end and score on offense already. By the time I was typing the tweet, I was like, oh, Alan Williams, huge mismatch, gets scored on. I look up and he's running back down the floor again because he scored. And, yeah, well, I mean, I'm a huge, like, I think Sauce is my, my favorite player on this team. Um, Booker's obviously close, but, um, and Dudley, I love Dudley. Um, but, I mean, he totally has that. It's just more about 6'8", like, rim protection is a problem. Like, I don't know if, I mean, I know, I mean, so do you think Williams is the starting center? No, no, the starting center for this team is not here. The starting point guard for this team is not here. The, Absolutely. The starting power forward at least hasn't developed yet. I mean... Chris and Bender aren't playing like they deserve to be the starting power forward of the future yet. So It should be Josh Jackson, right? I don't think so. No, I really think it should be Chris or Bender. Um, I don't like the idea of starting Jackson and Warren together. Uh, okay. I think that's problematic. I think maybe if Jackson has a consistent three-point shot and is the defensive player everyone thinks he is, he can play some two maybe. So then you mm. move Booker to the one, I guess. But I, I still think... This team needs to, I think, their main priority if we're like transitioning now into like looking at the long-term core and talking yeah. future questions. I think the main thing they have to do is draft one of their draft picks in the, this draft class, at least at center lines up well, where they grab a top five guide, either point guard or center, and then they pick up a legitimately good to very good, like not an all-star by any means, but like a, a pretty good NBA player, one of the other positions, and they try and win next year because Chris Mannix had the tweet after the game that everyone picked up. They're yeah. like, he's a legit franchise player. Devin Booker is, and they need to build around him. Like, you need to stop. They have enough young players. They have enough high picks. You need to, like, trade two of these first-round picks. Get, like, George Hill was a name I saw floated around. Like, yeah, I was, was going to flip that. Yeah, that's the kind of level of player that you want to see. Just go grab a player like that, uh, which ironically is kind of the reason that I made the case for Bledsoe staying here and not trading him was just to build and get better. Uh, so yeah, I think if you pick like third in the draft, get Mo Bamba or DeAndre Aiden, and then you go trade for a point guard like George Hill, like Dennis Schroeder or whoever, and you get, get somewhere there. I haven't really looked into point guards that much. Schroeder was just like a name that came to mind in terms of someone on a bad team. And the George Hill's the one you want. Though. Yeah. Well, Hill is the expiring and the veteran, not the expiring, but he would, he's, he would have two years left on his deal. I think Schroeder just signed an extension or recently did a year or two ago. So I think Hill is the guy that you look at potentially, but I think that's going to be the thing next year. Because if we go into next year and the point guard rotation is still like a a shrug, then that's a huge red flag. And I think there's already enough red flags with this rebuild that they don't need another one. So you basically, going into next off, this offseason, you need to like get Mike James out of here or roll a game to the NAZ Suns. Um, you trade Chandler, you trade Monroe, you trade Len, or you don't re-sign Len. You draft a center of the future, get George Hill, and draft. Yeah, that's whew. 
Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you have to do all that stuff. I think, I think you can keep, I think you just let Monroe and Len walk. You bring back Big Sauce, you bring back Chandler. If, if Chandler wants to stay here, if you can trade him, you obviously trade him, but I wouldn't go out of my way to make sure to trade him. But yeah, you. I'm okay with you on that. So you either get Luka Doncic at one or two or three or wherever he winds up drafting. I think he's the number one guy in this draft by far, but then you get someone like Bomba or Aiden or Bagley to play the five or Jared Jackson out of Michigan State, and then you look to get a point guard somewhere. The free agent class sucks. It's terrible next year in terms of point guards. So I think you'd have to trade for someone. But again, the Suns have the Milwaukee first, the Miami first, the other Miami first, all their other first, and they have so many young players right now. They can afford to trade one or two first right now to go get a good point guard to put next to Burke. But yeah, to your whole point, like, yeah, Mike James, like, that's... I've seen enough. It's over. I think we've it's all over. Seen I've seen way too much. I think we've all seen enough in terms of him being a legitimate piece going forward. I don't see him in the same vein of Sauce or Tyler Ulis or even Derek Jones Jr. Where mm, it's like you I think, want. You to think Ulis? Where I want. You think can stick? What do you mean? You think Ulis can stick on this team? And what about him and a Booker's uh, relationship? I think. I'm I'm just talking about in terms of like players that can like if we look ahead to this team in like 2020 and they're winning like 40 games like I wouldn't be surprised to see Ulysses and Sauce like at the end of the bench or them playing minutes every now and then like I think they've earned a spot in terms of being in the team's quote unquote long term core I'm not saying Ulysses should play a significant role or Sauce should but I'm saying like that end of the bench type of group where you got like Derek Jones Jr. You have Sauce, you have Ulyss. I don't think James is in that same vein. I don't think he's he deserves to be in that group with the way he's played. So I, I think that's where I would put um, Mike James and looking ahead. But Ulyss and Booker's relationship is interesting because that's another thing where you look at McDonough and uh, his relationship with players and everything, and uh, that is not something he's going to want to screw up. So people are kind of talking about when Mike James was playing really well, like, oh, man, if they want to keep Derek Jones, you know, do they let go of Tyler Ulyss? And I was like, no, they don't. <laughs> They absolutely do not. Not this early. Um, I, I don't think Ulysses has to stay because he's Booker's buddy, but like Ulysses hasn't played that much worse than Mike James. I think he's arguably been better this season. I think this was back more when James was playing better. But although Mike, part of the Mike James thing is that he's playing so many minutes when he shouldn't be. Like he still has some development NBA wise to go. He's been playing overseas for years. But if he had been the third point guard the whole time, he may have had flashes. May have been able to actually grow. But the way it's happened has, I don't think, done well for his development. Yeah, he's kind of getting, I mean, there was that two-game stretch where Josh Jackson took 30 shots over two games where it looked like he was trying to be the guy to be the third option offensively, and you worry about that uh, affecting players' development. I don't really buy that James having a huge role is worrying for his development because I just think he's that type of player. Like, Tyler Eulis got a absolute boatload of minutes last year playing for Earl Watson. Uh, and he was taking a lot of shots, but it didn't cloud like his uh, judgment in the future in terms of being a playmaker or anything. But Yeah, I'm more saying that James is like coming on the spotlight. In one way, it revealed who he was. In another way, it did a disservice to his our, our vision of him, like, if he hadn't been thrust into oh, it, he may not have sucked so badly. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think he would have been really still, like, heralded as this guy, hey, Mike James is good. And then we kind of have seen him in this expanded role where 
Tyler Eulis, like, it's sink or swim, and Eulis definitely didn't sink when he did it last year. He was just really impressive, where James, you just kind of go, oh, okay, I, I get what you are. Like, everyone who is yeah, watching... But he's not, a, he's not a starting point guard or necessarily even a backup point yeah, guard. Yeah, everyone, everyone who's watched basketball long enough or people listening to this podcast have seen, like, a Mike James-type point guard. Like, everyone knows that type of point guard, and that's the type of point guard that he is. I don't really have a name for it, but everyone knows what it is, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the extent of really James and uh, the lack of a future I think that he has here. Let's talk a little about Booker. and uh, I'd, uh, So he's now, he had another 38-point point game, another 30-point game. He is now, as you've all seen the stat, tied with LeBron James for nine this season for the most 30-point games this season. Um, he is, <laughs> was it 15 years younger than LeBron? or No, not quite. Almost. Um but uh, so he's some pretty pretty good company in that sense. Uh, what do you think of Booker? His usage rate, kind of how he's doing it. We talked a little bit about this before earlier in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants to hear me say if he had like a thirty five percent usage rate, he would be averaging forty points a game, and he would be the next Kobe and MJ and things <laughs> like that. But I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's that. I think he's just in a really good sweet spot right now in terms of his usage and his efficiency and stuff. I mean, right now, when you look at him compared to some of the better scores in the league, he's average, he has a 28.7% uh, usage percentage right now, and guys like D'Angelo Russell have 33.5, Giannis has 33.1, Boogie has 33.2, Westbrook 32.3, Oladipo even 30.5, so he's not even up there yet necessarily. He's like outside the top 15 or so when compared to some of the bigger scores in the league. And I think it's good for that to naturally grow because right now he's 10th in the league in scoring, averaging 23.6 a game. And I think that's a good little uh, sweet spot for him to be in. Um, uh, do you want to talk about just like where he ranks potentially in terms of like becoming a scorer? Yeah, I do want to also see like where do you think he ends up in his prime in terms of uh, points per game? Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him lead the league in scoring at some point, at least once. Uh, I think that he is a guy that, when I looked at him last year, and I think this year has certainly, um, I wrote that thing in the offseason and the preseason that was basically saying, like, greatness is coming for him no matter what, but I wasn't exactly sure how great the greatness was going to be when I wrote that, to be fair. It's not like I was saying he was the next Hall of Fame shooting guard or whatever. Uh, but the way he is improved his efficiency this year and shown the advanced steps going forward. Uh, I believe it was I'm blanking on the name right now, uh, but someone wrote something about Booker where it was showing like the advanced passes that he was making in year three. Uh, like he was making uh, like one handed uh, like bullet passes to the corner. And those were the types of passes that weren't even there in year two or year one when his passing was already pretty impressive for the type of player that he was supposed to be. So I think that growth has shown that we can continue to have these lofty standards for him for sure. Um, I think we're not really clouded by the idea of 70 points. I think a lot of people are still, but I think that he's still um, very encouraging for where he's at right now. So I think he's a guy that can average, I mean, like it's not foolish to say like 28, 30 a game at some point at least, uh, but I don't, it's, it's way too early right now in terms of where he is at as a player to start to say that he's going to be one of the five or ten best players in the league at one point. Oh, yeah. I just, I, we keep putting him in these stats next to Giannis, next to Kevin Durant, next to LeBron James. 
next to Dwayne Wade, next to C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, and all those types of guys. And I just don't – I think it's a little bit premature to put him in the absolute elite company because I think people are seeing him at this trajectory and seeing him just keep rising and rising. But to get to that like level where he is a top 15 player in the league, top 20 player in the league, like he's he's getting there for sure. Like it looks like he's headed there, but that is like another level or two that he has to keep mm-hmm. hitting up and getting better at. But the case that we keep making and keep saying to everyone is he's only 21 and he's only 21. So right now, I can't say without a doubt that he's going to be like an absolutely elite player in this league, but I believe that he is a he is a one A building block for sure. Is- oh, you think so? Because I've talked to many people. I've been the I've been on the kind of the all the podcasts talking about him. I think he is the second best player on a championship team. No, I think he's um, the guy. You think, you think he's the best player on a championship team? Yeah, yeah, I. I just think he has the complete game as a two guard that you're looking for. I think he has the mentality. I think he has the efficiency coming that we're seeing right now. And I'm just looking at it from a perspective of how maybe this is biased in not the way you think it's biased, but I just watch so much bad Suns basketball and see what he does on such a bad team consistently that maybe I'm using that to standards to believe that if you put legitimate pieces around him, he would flourish even more. Like, can you imagine the stats he would be putting up right now if he had like good players around him? If you just put him on a, if you put him on a thirty-five win team right now, his stats would be unbelievable. Um, he has five assists in this game. He would have like ten. Yeah, he would average like six or seven assists a game. I think uh, not at this current like iteration, but I think if you look at him in his like apex form, like I think he can average like six, seven assists a game, no problem with the right type of players around him and everything. And he doesn't even have a right player around him. Like TJ Ward is not the type of player you want to put around him. Yeah, because he's, he's, yeah, exactly. And let's talk about TJ Warren. Um, he's, so he's the second best player on the team, kind of clearly. Um, and the weird thing is he has a floater. I love his off ball cutting. His defense, dude, he needs to get better at positioning himself. It's just, Bad, and then his three point, and he's he's like it's like he's not strong enough to hit it or something. He needs to get one of them fixed, and then he's fine. <laughs> Just get one of them fixed. Yeah, I think I think we're beyond that. I think we're at the Alex Len stage with him too. Really, I, that early? I I mean, this is year four. It's oh gosh, we're we got That's sad. we got to call it what it is. At some point, he has looked like the player he was in college for his NBA career. That's what he's looked like. And the three point shot right now is so discouraging to me because I was always on the the fence of that. He was going to be an average three point shooter. He showed it in his second year, even in his third year uh, before the head injury, it was a little bit, it was there. It was a really small sample size, but it looked like the shot was still there. It's just flat and gross. And this year it just, yeah, the hitch in it, it, it's back to being terrible and the one that made him not like a top 10 pick. So I think defensively as well, I think that he got incrementally better from year one to year three, but we haven't seen any growth since, and that's concerning. And I think the other thing that we don't even talk about with him is his assists. Like, he does not pass the ball. Uh, Zach Lowe had the stat earlier uh, this year, a couple weeks ago, where it was like compared to how much he shoots the ball and how much he passes the ball, it would be only like the seventh or eighth player in NBA history to average at least like 
whatever it was, like 14, 15 shots a game and only have, like, less than two assists a game or whatever it is. Like, he is not a... Although, like, he doesn't... Like, the way he gets his points to me doesn't, like, scream that he needs to be passing it more. The way he... It's a lot of the off-ball stuff and a lot of the, like... When I watch the games, I don't feel like he needs to be passing it more. Well... Do you feel that? Not really, because I watch him get the ball in the mid-range areas and just see possessions where he's trying to create for himself, and he is not looking for anyone else at all. Like, he is not... He's not attacking the basket and looking to pass and I think that's a credit to how good of a finisher he is now he can pretty much finish anything around the rim so maybe he shouldn't be passing but at the same who else, time who's he gonna pass to <laughs> but at the same time he should pass the ball more he just has to okay. like I I don't have synergy but I assume like the total amount of passes that he makes they're not very encouraging at all in terms of in the actions and everything like when when they actually matter not just for like sets and everything so I, I think w- with him it's just like one of those things has to develop he has to get better defensively he has to be a below-average three-point shooter at least, or he has to pass more. And he's in year four right now, man. So I think that he is a – right now I think he is a fine um, six-man score right now. I thought that he was better than that, uh, but we have yeah. not seen the improvement that I talked about where just like his shooting – like, again, if he was just like able to hit 38% of his corner threes like P.J. Tucker, it would be, yes. be a starter. But oh, he that's so, the – He'd be so good. Again, shooting can come really late. Maybe it'll just come back once he's back in a more substantiated role. The one thing I've really liked about him is that he's become an excellent offensive rebounder for his position. That was something that started to come up when – uh, everyone forgets in the start of uh, last year, Bledsoe was third in the team in field goal attempts per game. He was letting TJ and Book be the number one and number two options. And then once Warren came back from the injury, he kind of tried to just figure out where he fit, and he started just crashing the offensive glass more. And now he's like starting to do that now in this role as well, and he's become really good there. So I think TJ, that's the thing with him, and I think that's why we look at Josh Jackson and say that he should start over him in the future if everything goes well with his development. But for TJ, I think that that's the main problem is that, yes, it's a little bit early to give up on his development completely, but it's year four, and besides the offensive rebounding, we haven't seen a legitimate, quote-unquote, like development from him as a prospect. Yeah, he and Josh Jackson have come see me about their shot. Um, but so about Josh Jackson – uh, his shot has been seemingly better than we thought thought it would be for year one, for sure. What do you think? Um, it 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 kind of feels that way because we see it go in and we're like, oh, hey, that kind of looks good. And then you look at the stats and you realize he's shooting twenty four percent from three, uh, and it's it's not good. And I wrote a I wrote a thing on ArizonaSports.com a couple days ago talking about his rookie season and how he's a really difficult player in terms of his evaluation and where he's at because he's moving a million miles an hour and Earl Watson told him to move in a million miles an hour, which probably wasn't the best move uh, because he has this engine and they want it to keep going. But uh, Triano says it over and over again when he, when he gets asked about Jackson, because I, I ask about him a couple of times and he just gives me the same answer every time. They're like, they want him to keep moving at that speed, but they have to figure out a way to harness it. And right now he's just driving into – we saw it at that possession at the end of the game where it was an iffy kind of replay. He had Tyson Chandler. Like, he just had to, like, realize, like, once he took his second dribble that Chandler was going to be open, and he just never realized it. So he's just moving too fast, and he needs to slow down. He's a really gifted passer. But with his three-point shot, 
I, I mean, we just have to see it. We have to see him shoot the way he did in the first like nine or 10 games of the season when it was more of like looking like he could be an average three point shooter. He's great when he's set. He looks good when he's set, but when he's shooting off the dribble, it's a nightmare and he should not be doing that. He should not be taking like mid range jumpers and stuff, but the three point shot is of course the sink or swim for him. And right now it's just kind of where we thought it would be where it's, it looks good in certain stages and otherwise it doesn't. And that has him shooting like 25% from three right now, which isn't the biggest surprise in the world, to be honest. I mean, I can see that hitch getting fixed out in two years and him getting stronger. I think I tweeted this out during the game. I mean, if he's, once he gets two years of strength training in him in the NBA circles, he's going to be fine going to the rim every single time. He's just longer, can jump higher than most people. Um, but someone else tweeted, I don't know if it was you, um, that he's, oh, no, I think it was Mike um, Lisbo. Uh, he, he, half of his mistakes are because he thinks he's more athletic than everybody on the court. You see that? Yep. Uh, the thing I wrote about on draft night was that, like, he is going to be great if he is what he is supposed to be. And I, there was a very defining game against Michigan State in the tournament where he guarded Miles Bridges, and Miles Bridges was getting by him a lot, and Josh Jackson wasn't necessarily getting by him a ton. And it just kind of showed that perhaps the limitations that he could have against like top tier NBA athletes consistently night after night. Um, but to his finishing, I think that strength and all of that and being able to jump higher and take contact, I don't even see that as the problem right now. I think he's a pretty good finisher already. He just needs to pick his spots. Like I, I use like five or six clips in that column where he's just running literally right into a rim protector. Like it is, he's beating his man, but then he's running right into a rim protector, just like, there was a block that Tyler Zeller had that was comical because he literally just ran the ball into his hand. Like it was the, it was a, a really silly possession and that's because he can't really read the floor yet. In one sense though, you teach that you want to go into the rim protector so they can't set up to block you, but I see what you're saying. He's going like into their hands, like right there, not like adjusting course whatsoever. And he's already I see that when if you're going into the rim protector, you've already done your job as a perimeter player. Now someone's open. Someone should be open, and he he is shown time after time. He's a really good passer. He just needs to improve his overall vision. And I think the hope is that he will slow down with time. I think we're just naturally pessimistic because of the way the development has gone for. All those other players. I mean, if we want to go super big picture and talk about McDonough right now, we just talked about Len, we just talked about Warren, we briefly touched on Bender and Chris, and now we're talking about Jackson. Like those, none of those guys have exceeded expectations as a draft pick. Booker is the only one, and most of them have been underwhelming, and that's concerning. And Jackson, it's super early, but again, I'm just saying, like it's easy to be pessimistic when we've seen the warning signs early with Len and these other guys, and we've said, oh, don't worry, they're young, it'll take time, and um, I still feel that same way with Jackson. Don't worry, he's young. It'll take time. Jackson's going to be good, I think. I think Jackson's going to be good. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I was never as high on Chris as everybody else. Um, Bender, I'm still high on. He's just. Do you think they're going to trade Bender or Chris or both? Uh, it depends on what they – It's the, the, the question I always uh, – or the answer I always give to like questions like this is like if they think Michael Porter Jr. is like the the best player in this draft, then they will like they'll just take Michael Porter Jr. and then trade one of them. Uh, it depends on how high they are on both of those guys. I think they are at a point now where through two seasons, neither of them, if this continues at least, because we've got a long way to go this season, so one of them could stand out by the end of the year. 
but neither of them have stood out. So if you're looking at this at the start of year three and you say, screw it, I just want to get rid of one of them, there's no reason not to because of the way they've played so far uh, as first and second year players. So I think that's the alarming issue. Um, but I agree that I, I've said it a lot about Chris. I just don't know what he is. I don't understand what he is as a basketball player. He's he has he has things that I like, but I would get rid of him before I get rid of Bender. I just ask people what he's what what is his role, and I don't ever get an answer because it's just what is his role. He blocks shots, can hit threes, he, he can, can block shots, can block he can shots, the rim. he can hit open threes, he can score around the rim, but not really. Like that's kind of where the list stops because he's not a very good rebounder. He fouls all the time, which limits the. The, the block shots and he hasn't been a consistent shooter yet. So besides the athleticism plays right now and the occasional, whoa, he can do that moment, which is something I've written about where he, like he'll do a Euro step and you're like, what the hell was that? Um, it, we had that one that was like a spin turnaround, a fadeaway floater. I was like, what, where did that come from? Yeah. He's still figuring it out. They just have to be patient with him, I think. But at what point do they stop being patient? Cause like with Alex Lenier in year five, it's still in the year two for Chris, but you look at that, but Bender, I think he's going to be, I think he is like a good defensive player in the league. And I think he's showing that his three point shot is improving. So he's at least something like Bender's at least something. I don't know what Chris is, but Bender's at least something. So that's always been my case with both of them. Like my, Opinion on Bender, even if he's played better in year two than he has been year one, hasn't changed at all. I just think it's the same kind of thing right now. He can hit threes. He can. He's a smart player, and he can play defense. But I don't really know what else beyond that right now at the moment. And then with Chris, it's like I know nothing. So I think in terms of trading one of them, that's what it comes down to. So I would rather trade Chris. But it also depends on who has more value. Are you looking to get more value, less value? Which guy do you want to keep? So The weird thing is that, like, the Triano and Watson have probably played Chris more because, like, do you think that Bender sometimes are used to play passively? Yeah, yeah, he looked like the 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 lights were too bright for him, as Eddie House uh, once told me about him. That's how it always looked. It still looks that way far less, but it's still every now and then there's a possession or two where he does yeah. something really dumb, and you're like, dude, like, what are you doing? Uh but I, I didn't understand if Chris came in out of shape. I don't understand why he was starting uh, opening night, or he didn't start opening night, of course. But why he was like still that integral piece? I, th- when, I think it's because he has more drive and more like just push than Bender did. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something I could see. And they, man, they always say concerning things. But Triano mentioned that like Bender has like made more of an effort this year to like stay after practice and like work and just improve. And it's like, why wasn't he doing that in his rookie year? Why was no one telling him to do that in his well, rookie year? Cause he was coming, he was from Croatia just straight off, right? He didn't like spend any time here. There's some acclimation, but I, that is concerning still. I do think that, uh, like we talked about earlier, that having a George Hill would elevate both of them so much that they might actually see what their potential is. What do you think? Yeah, both of them are, I think, there is going to have to be a change in their development right now for either of them to be like a number two or a number three right now. So they're both role players right now for sure. So I think if the team gets better, it's better for them. Like Bender is, I have no doubt if you put Bender on a playoff team right now, he would look, he would look great. He would look outstanding. But just because they have to cover less on defense because George Hill wouldn't get beat so much, um, like things like that. And then he gets the passes, more smarter passes, less turnovers on the whole. 
and it would just like they don't get put in spots. Yeah, but the problem with George Hill is you have to now you have to get rid of Chandler and Knight because he makes twenty freaking million dollars a year because the Kings are a disaster. So, <laughs> so you have to figure out where to put the money. So now you have to potentially give up a first round pick to get rid of Chandler or Knight. If you want to give up Knight, it's probably going to cost you two firsts. Now you have to give up another first to get can George do Hill. If we know anything about McDonough, he can probably make it happen without giving up too many firsts or any firsts. But I, I knew you were thinking correctly about it. It just is like yeah, I think, he has done some pretty miraculous things with first-round picks and yeah, players. I think that's looking at it a bit uh, glass half full, though, to be fair. Cause it's, it's, that's how I look at everything. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It, he has had his moments where he's gotten good value on everything. There are other moments where he just hasn't gotten value. And like the Bledsoe thing, we've kind of quickly forgotten about it. I know he was in a tough situation and he had to get rid of him. And he demanded a trade and everything. Other times, like the Drogic moment, he really came through. But I, I think just looking at the salaries, you would have to give up at least a first-round pick for each of them. You would have to give up one to get Hill and one to get rid of Knight. So that's two first-round picks you're spending to pay Jordan, George Hill $20 million for two seasons um, to be a better point. Yeah, long range. Is that better for Booker's development and every other player on your team? And keeping Booker happy for the do the extension, maybe is it worth it? We'll see. Yeah, I talked about it earlier that like if you have to go for a first round pick or two to make it happen, you you should. But I'm just pessimistic again about getting rid of Knight and creating the room for George Hill as a specific example. But the overall thought is definitely that you want to do it to not even Booker's long term development, just Booker wanting to be here. <laughs> like he he needs help. He needs help now. He needs help now. He does. And, I mean, I was tweeting out to the Mannix thing that you had mentioned earlier. Um, I'm really, really curious, just like as a fan and someone who's interested in the Suns, what their team is going to look like post-trade deadline 2019. Post-trade deadline 2019. So you're saying like a year from February? Yes. Okay. I hope Luka Doncic is on that team. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not into like college or overseas stuff yet because I get that around February. But uh, is he shooting guard only or small forward? He's he's a forward. He's like a wing, but he's like Ben Simmons, where you just give him the ball and say do the stuff, and he guards like power forwards or small forwards or whatever. So you could so you could play him, Booker, Jackson, and George Hill together. I would not include George Hill in that. I would not if I got Luka Doncic. I'm not getting George Hill. Luka Doncic. So you play him at, like you play him Ben Simmons at point guard. So you say Luka. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like Doncic oh, yeah. Booker. I'd have Doncic and Booker swap off, and then I'd have Jackson as like your quote unquote small forward uh, or whatever, uh, and then I would just roll with that and see what happens because it would be a lot. Um, it would be difficult to figure out, and that again is the question of if the Suns like passed on Doncic, that would be because they would believe it wouldn't work and they wouldn't be able to fit him in. But he's not that type of player. He's just a player you fit in on any team, and he makes them better and helps everyone else get better. So, so with if if you don't get Doncic because he goes one two or something in year three, um, do you? So Bagley and Porter are all there. I think they're power forwards, right? Bagley is either a four or a five. He looks more like a five to me, but. I don't know. I don't know with that dude. Yeah. I, yeah. So if, if you get Donich, what do you do at the center position? I think you stick around with Chandler for another year. I know that's nails on the chalkboard for Suns fans, but I. 
Not for me. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you're there because Chandler's like, he's fine. Like, he had 14. Fine. He had 14 and 18 today. He's fine. He's fine. If, if, if the team's good, he'll do what he needs to and he'll be fine. Like, I'm so with you. Like, they're past the point with, like, I'm older than everybody on the Suns team except for Monroe, Chandler, and Dudley. Like, they're fine. The one thing. Sending all the veterans to other teams. The one thing you're not going to have to worry about finding right now is the center in this league. There are so many centers that people want to get rid of. So if they needed to find, like, a starting caliber center, I think they wouldn't have a problem in doing so. But I think you would roll with Chandler for another year in Sauce and then just uh, the year after that really look at it um, at that quote-unquote trade deadline and then that offseason uh, and then attack center. But I think that is where I see the team, though, to answer your overall question. I see them in a similar position. I don't think there's any reason right now to have optimism about this team and where the rebuild is right now. I think Devin Booker is going to be a much better player than he is at this specific moment than he, than he is right now. Um, Crazy. But I think that I, are they, I would hope that they're like looking to win 35 games that season, but. Oh, I was just talking about roster construction at that time, not necessarily outlook of the team, oh, who's on the team. Um, That's all well, I was I caring about. TJ and Booker are obviously around. Josh is obviously around. I think one of Bender or Chris is still around, and I think the other rookie, the, the rookie that you pick with this year's pick is around, and maybe there's another rookie that you pick with the Miami pick. Euless Williams, Davon Reed is still around. He's there. Um that's a lot Daniel. of young people, so I would hope there are some older players there. Yeah, Troy Daniels would fill Dudley. around. Um, yeah, Dudley. He's a lifer probably now. I think so. I think another team could, a playoff team could convince himself he's worth, like even if he's only worth a second-round pick and the Suns want to get rid of him, then. He's Nick Collison. Come on, he's Nick Collison now. Oh, he's not. He's not. It's not that bad, I know, but I love Nick Collison. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying, that he's just going to be on the Suns for the rest of his life. Um, that's the... I mean, that's a hope. I would love for him to stay, but there might be playoff teams that want him. Uh, but the overall roster construction, I don't see it being that different. I just see the first-round pick coming in and being the big change because, man, this is the year. This is the year where if they're, if they're one or two or three on lottery night and they drop or they don't get one or they don't get two, it's going to hurt a lot more. Than the previous think, years because it feels it, like every it feels like year, there's been five or four that are really good. Yeah, it feels like every year we're increasing. Like it's getting more stressful in terms of how important the lottery was because last year it was Fultz and Ball. This year it's going to be to me it's going to be uh, Aiden. Um, yeah, Fultz and Ball, but my goodness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so, like it's Tatum, Jackson, and everybody else. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that great. So Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. He's better. Uh, but I think the that's where I see the roster at, so I don't really see it anywhere different. I just hope – McDonough's not a dumb guy. He's just made a lot of dumb decisions sometimes. Like, not dumb decisions, but decisions that have just backfired on him in ways he probably didn't see. So I, I think he knows that they have to get, like, better players next year. Now – do I see them rolling out a starting lineup of uh, first-round pick here at center? Or no, not even first-round pick. First-round pick coming off the bench, and then Bender, Warren, Booker, Brandy Knight, and Tyson Chandler. Do I see that next year? Absolutely. And that's horrifying, right? That's terrible, but I can see that, Like, and that's the worrying thing, that I can actually see that coming. 
Yeah, what do you think of James Jones and how his impact on McDonough and this next couple of years will be? Um, this might sound like a standoffish answer, but I just don't want to act like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to that. I think that it's easy to say, oh, well, James Jones played on Miami. He's buddies with LeBron and Chris Bosh, so we could get Chris Bosh and we could get LeBron James and we could get all these ex-players that James Jones is buddies with. And it helps. It helps that Earl Watson was buddies with LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, it's... It's it's one of those types of things, you know. So I think Made it close. I think the relationship aspect is not underrated. Like he's going to be able to get LeBron on the phone because he's he's champ. That's what he is to them. So I think that facet is not necessarily overblown. But I'm just not going to say. I don't think it's anything beyond that. I don't think anyone should say anything beyond that. Like you should not be saying James Jones is going to help you get X. Like that is not. Yeah, I mean more about. Um, player um, relationships in general? Uh, in terms of, like, front office to the players? Yes. Yeah, I think that's probably the hope, too, is that McDonough's history of not, I don't want to say communicating, but that's kind of what it's been in his communication issues in the past. You would hope that he would clean up some of that. So I think that's what you're looking for maybe in terms of that. But I think James Jones is there just as that's one of the, that's one of the helps as well. But I look at it as he is that, that guy, like that is one of the reasons on top of James Jones being awesome is that he is this guy who has built up a ton of relationships and he's a smart guy and he's going to hopefully be on a upward trend. uh, If we were to say it that way. Yeah. For sure. Well, uh, this was fantastic. Uh, do you have any other random things to talk about about the Suns before we get off here? Uh, no. Uh, believe it or not, I don't like talking about it. I, I love talking about the Suns, but I don't like talking about a 25-win team more than I have to, if you get what I'm saying. So <laughs> I'm not going to add on more to our long discussion already. Exactly. Well, it was a blast having you on. I think it was good for the two of us who are maybe in the top five of us um, bloggers, if you want to call it that, about the Suns. Um, talking about the Suns. We just delved into pretty much every player and every situation we got possibly can think of. Um, thank you so much. And what's your Twitter? And we'll have you plug your stuff and get out of here. Uh, I'm at Kellen Olson, K-E-L-A-N-O-L-S-O-N. ArizonaSports.com is where you can find all of my writings, the Empire of the Suns blog. We do a podcast once a week, and we are writing about pretty much everything Suns over there. If there is any possible Suns angle you've thought of in the past year, we have written about it. We're going to have a ton of draft coverage. I'm going to be... At Tuesday's Arizona-Texas A&M game, Robert Williams versus DeAndre Ayton, two centers the Suns might select. I'll have something up on the site about that coming up. So, yeah, there's my tease. Yeah, you definitely, definitely go check out Kellen's stuff. Um, this is the Solar Insights Podcast. You can go subscribe and review, please, on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, and also I have my business, EliteHoopsDevelopment.com, um, that can train players. we got three, four people on right now training with me, so... Uh, If you are in Arizona and want to train, uh, let me know. Go check out the website. Thanks so much, Kellen. Have a great day, everybody.